Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. And this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, we are continuing in this sermon series on makers, and we are makers, and we talked about how God is a maker. Uh, We talked about how the world has been unmade in some ways. All the good that has been made has been somehow hurt in some ways, and you feel it, I feel it, we experience it around us. There's brokenness, but then we talked about how Jesus is this remaker. He's coming in, he's putting things back together again, and he's put together some people, you and me, who are part of making again. And so all the making we do is wrapped up in God's great making and remaking of the world. And so this is where we've been coming to, and this is where we're going to be going over the next few Sundays. Hey, uh, I just want to re... I think you should put this on, on your fridge. This is, this is a little piece of paper talking about the Maker Fair coming up. And uh, if you have two hands, or if by some, some challenge you only have one hand, or if you don't have any hands, you are a maker either way. So... If you are here today, how about we put it that way? You, are ma- you make something, and there's evidence in your life of you having made something. And we want you to come and show it to us. We're going to have this space. is going to be quite different on Sunday, February 23rd, as we're going to set up all these tables, and, uh, and we're going to have people showcase things that they make. If it's a spreadsheet, we want to see that, okay? If it's a child that you're very proud of, one of your children that you're very proud of. You can put that, yeah, one, yeah, yeah, you can, you can put that child there too. Anyway, I just want to highlight that. Hey, with the sound of babies, this reminds me of something. One thing we haven't done for a little while is uh, we haven't done like a, like a baby dedication here. So we are going to be having a baby dedication here at the beginning of March. I think we're throwing around March 1st as a date. So if you have a little baby and that's something that, that you want to talk about with me as uh, one of your pastors, please come and talk, t- talk to me about that uh, because that's an important part of the life of our church. And for some reason, there's just been more and more babies. So you, you are making, and this is, this, is, this is good. Well done. Hey, uh, next thing, this is a super selfish thing. Well, kind of selfish. Uh, I, am, uh, I need a ride to the airport in like 30 minutes. Um, kind of right after I'm done preaching, I am hoping somebody will take me to the airport. Is there somebody who would be willing? Okay, sure. Yeah, good. Okay, good. Um, I, I am going off to Chicago to represent us at our, at our, at our annual midwinter conference. All the pastors from across the 850 churches in our denomination get, get together, and we, uh, we do drink a little bit of beer. This, this is true. But mostly we are talking theological things and working out church, church stuff. And so uh, uh, we, we, we are really excited to spend time with our, with our people and and I'm going to be going to a really rough part of Chicago, and I'm going to get a tour with a pastor that works down there, and learning how, how economic development is changing a tough part of Chicago. So I'm just really excited. And right after that, I'm flying to Saskatoon, where I'm speaking at the Spiritual Life Conference there, which is a big honor, but we're going to be talking and talking to people in Saskatoon about how we love our neighbors. And so people have heard about the story of Chestermere, the story of Lake Ridge, and people will say, tell us that story. Tell us that story. And so lots, lots to be excited about there. And that's where, where I'll be off to th- this week. 
We are doing something a little different this morning. Uh, we are going to be having communion in a bit. And so this morning we're talking about how we, the difference between work and vocation. We're going to tie these together. We're going to look at scripture. And to do this, I need help. I've asked Lo to come. Lo is going this morning. He's going to make bread. So it's kind of a performance art piece. As I preach, Lo is going to be making something. And this is going to be fitting. And we're going to tie it all together at the end. So Lo... Would you make us some bread this morning? Please, thank you. Please do. Thomas More says, Our work, your work, is not just a means for making a living, but it is the medium through which you become a person. Our work is not just for making a living, but it is the medium through which you're becoming a person. God is interested in your personhood, in who you are becoming, and how you are becoming that person. Your workplace... The work you do is a laboratory where you are working out the matters of your soul. Now, it might not feel like that. <laughs> there is a disconnect in our lives between our work and the life we hope to have. We sometimes, many people feel stalled or stuck or frustrated or unhappy with the prospect of their work maybe being the same year over year over year. Has anybody ever felt that? The things I'm doing, I'm kind of in that. It's a groove, it's a trench, it's a deep valley that I have to wake up to every morning. You see, when we were young, we wanted to know what we were going to do with our lives. We had some grand dreams. And then when we get there, even if it's the thing that we wanted to do, sometimes we go, is this it? Is there more to life than this thing that I'm doing? A study recently found, I read this, it said, the saddest year of life, I'm starting on a bit of a downer here, the saddest year of life is 47. I know, anybody who is 47 here who are coming on and going, I don't like that study, that is not a very pleasant study. Oh yeah, Rick is just coming up on 47 over there. Um, they discovered it is a time when people are well into their careers, into their work, and then they look around and go, Wait, am I going to do this for the next 20 years? Am I, what am I about? What am I about? And so a lot of emotions play into it. Other factors play in too. We ask big questions of the work we do. Is what I do good? Do people like what I do? Do I like me when I'm making the thing that I make? Do I like who I become? Does my work make me enough money? Do I find peace in my work? And so our work informs for us some of the biggest questions of life. It fuels some of our deepest doubts, too. It makes us wonder. And it shapes who we become. Nothing in our life probably shapes us more than what we do with our hands and our minds, than the work we put ourselves to. Our work for us can sometimes become a lord and a master. It tells you to stand here. It tells you to wake up at this time and go over here. It tells you how much money you're going to make, which dictates the way you live the rest of your life and you can provide for your family. It tells you what to do with your time, talents, and treasures. But the question that I have today is, is your work your Lord? <laughs> is it? It sure sets itself up to be your Lord. It sure sets itself up to tell you what you're to do and not to do. But sometimes I think we've given work the wrong seat at the table of our lives. Work needs to be at the table of our lives, but sometimes it's sitting on our lap, right? 
So we have to come to the statement that rings throughout history of the church, and it's this statement before us. It's, Jesus is Lord. It's a statement, this defining phrase, Jesus is Lord, shaped the early church. It shaped the way people saw things. It was a statement that there was a person in charge of their lives. It was a person. And this person understood and was in charge of their life, their well-being, their purpose, their hope, their joy. All of these things came under this sense that Jesus was the Lord. A person understood which way was up. You see, being a working person who says Jesus is Lord reorients us towards our work. It reorients our lives towards what we are to do with our day-to-day. And our work then does something. The work becomes a fuel to know God. Our work becomes a fuel to know God. And I think Jesus wants to make our working life worthwhile. Not something we have to trudge through. Not something that gives us a ton of anxiety about who I am and what am I doing with this one life I've been given. But said, I think Jesus wants to breathe life into our work. And this morning we're going to talk about how I think that can maybe look for us a little bit. So there's two words that go hand in hand. One is work. Low over here is working. Works delicious. The other one is vocation, which we're going to talk about a little bit. Vocation. You heard of this word vocation before. It's maybe a little bit mysterious. The word vocation comes from the word vox or vocal cord. So if you have a voice, it comes from that same word. Your vocation is, is a response to a call. That God would say to you words and that you would respond to those words. That's what a vocation means. It's the assumption that we live in a universe where there's a caller and we as human beings are the responders, according to Stephen Garber. The sense of a call and a response. Work is part of it. We're going to tie, tie, tie it in here. So follow, follow along a little bit. You see, work is what we do to make, to fix, uh, to make money for our families, support ourselves and make a living. But vocation is our response to this call of God. To join in doing God things with God. Here is what we know. We, are all, we have all been initiated by a call of God. God has said to everyone here, come and join me. I have made you and I want you to join me in making and remaking the world. And then we respond. God's called us. We're joining in something. But this is where it gets complex. The way you respond to God and the way I respond to God is going to be different. <laughs> There's a complexity in how we take this call of God and turn around with the work we do with our hands and tie these two together. There's a wrestle involved. There's a challenge involved to it. So we, Thomas More said, a calling is a sensation or intuition that life wants something from you. I'm going to say that again. A calling is a sensation or intuition that life wants something from you. Do you feel like you've heard a call before in that sense? That somewhere along the way you sensed in the intuitively in the deepest parts of you that life is calling something out of you? Something that no one else can really replicate, but maybe you? This is what the calling is about. Each person's calling is going to be different. But if you've heard the nudge that God is inviting you 
to be and do something, you maybe know what that's about. Now, you may feel your calling going one way and then the day-to-day stuff of life go the other. God's calling you to be an artist, right? Sometimes I feel that, right? I should just be a poet. I've, I've written one poem in my life and it was so good. I, I'm now a poet, right? Calling is maybe taking me one way, but my day-to-day stuff takes me another way. Here's the good news. God knows what you do for a living and he loves you. In fact, he loves what you make and fix every day. It delights him. You have a very interesting job. <laughs> I'm not going to say what. She, she, she deals with dead bodies. And she's awesome. What? Oh, parts of dead bodies. I don't know if, if that makes things better or not. <laughs> this is the thing. God loves what she does. God's delighted in that. In fact, she's, God has gifted her to do what she does, and I'm glad she does it, and I don't do it, right? This is good. God has come near between us, right? God knows how his calling on your life and your day-to-day work go hand in hand. He knows how your work and your calling are going to work it out. He designed you to do something, but he also called you, and, and he goes, this is not a mystery to me. I know what, how we're going to make this work. God knows how your work is helping you become the person he's intended you to be. He knows how your work is shaping you, how it's helping you see that Jesus is Lord over and over again. It's in the work that God is doing something in you. He knows the details, doesn't throw them off. And God knows how your work can fuel your call, hone your call, and cooperate with your call and more. God knows how these two go hand in hand. So your work and your job are what you do to make money, fix something broken or make something new, but your work may not be your vocation, this call, this response to God's call. Some of your work and your vocation may overlap. If it does, well done, right? But seldom do the two go nicely like this. Similarly, you might have a call from from God and since you're supposed to do something with your time, talent, and treasure, and so you want to respond And your vocation may not overlap with your work very much. And so you're trying to wonder, how do these things work out? But your faithfulness to your work has made a way for you to live out your vocation. Okay? Your faithfulness to your work has made a way for you to live out your vocation. Consider this bread. Lo is making bread for us today, and he's been working at it. And it takes effort. When I said, do you want to come and make some bread? He said, I'm going to have to bring some stuff. (laughs) There's work involved here. Now, he may like it. There might be days where he wakes up and says, I get to make bread and I'm jazzed. I'm going to jump out of bed. I'm going to make me some bread. I'm going to make some bread for my friends and my family. It's going to be good. And on those days, his work might feel like it fits his calling. And there's other days he goes, why am I making bread? I don't want to make bread today. But I've agreed to it. He may like it. He may think it fits its calling, but not always. Sometimes making bread is just plain work. Just something you have to do. But then, after making bread, something special kicks in. Eventually, he makes a loaf. And guess where this loaf gets to go? On a table. With his family around it. Maybe his neighbors come around. Maybe a loaf ends up on my table and my family and my neighbors come around it. And suddenly, the work 
turns into a response to God's call of a vocation, and suddenly this bread becomes something that feeds, nourishes, gathers, and blesses people around him. So you can see how these things are two necessary pieces, right? The work and the vocation. This bread is a response to the call of God to welcome and feed others, separate but hand in hand. I'm a pastor. Some days I wake up to work. Some tasks I don't particularly find very special to me. Uh, emails, um, spreadsheets. Some of these are hard. Some of these are boring. Some of them are painful. Some of them are meaningless. But the work I do sets me up to respond to the call of God. To live out my vocation. Jesus has invited me to do something special in his kingdom that only Preston can do. I have a particularly unique Preston-shaped call on my life to do something. And I got to sometimes wade through a few other things and set up a few other things to make sure that that calling can come alive. Do you understand what I'm, what I'm saying? The work and the call goes hand in hand. My work fuels my vocation. They overlap, but not always. In the Bible, we see over and over, as I spent time studying this week, we see over and over how people's work is intruded by God's love and something of a calling emerges out of it. But almost always, unless they were out there working, uh, God might not have engaged them in the way that they expected. One particular story, a guy named Nehemiah, after, after the um, exile, all of God's people were taken out of the land of the Bible. And they were taken to a faraway land in Babylon. And a guy named Nehemiah was out there, and uh, he got a job serving the king while in exile. Now you can imagine, this king came and ripped down his city, burned down his house, took his family away, all this. And what does he get? Probably like the worst job ever. He has to be a butler to the king. You can imagine. He is there every day taking this cup or the food to the king. He's the wine bearer. He has to stand there holding the cup of wine for this foreign king who has ruined his place. And here he is doing his job faithfully. And the prophet said, go and be faithful in your work. Then something happens while he's working one day. Nehemiah 2 says this. Early the following spring, in the month of Nizan, during the 20th year of King uh, Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. This is Nehemiah. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. Because you know what kings do and you aren't just holding it together in their presence, right? But, but I replied, um, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Suddenly his work of holding this cup, God took this day-to-day humdrum Monday morning holding a cup, and he called and spoke into Nehemiah's life in that moment. And next thing you know, it started a whole series of events that by this king's good blessing allowed people to start going back. 
and to rebuild the nation that they came from. Out of work came a call, and Nehemiah answered it. Peter, James, and John, they were just fishermen uh, on the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus comes along and takes their work and says, I call you to be fishers of men. And they're like, what? It was a true, literal call to say, come and do this. David was a shepherd and he cared for sheep. And David says that, that he would uh, sometimes tackle bears and lions and fight them off to save his sheep. He was a good shepherd. And the story goes that one day God called him and said, there's this giant named Goliath. Just think of him as a very big bear and a very big lion with a spear. Trust me, I'm calling you. And because he was able to trust God in this call, he took down Goliath and eventually became king. But it was in these places where he was alone in the wilderness with his sheep that God shaped his heart. It was at his day job that God spoke to him. Ruth was a gleaner. She, would, she was poor. She was broke. And she followed behind these farmers and would pick up little bits of grain. Not a very nice job. And Boaz was a landowner looking over his farm. And God whispered into both of their ears and said, Ruth, go see if you can marry Boaz. And Boaz, you treat this woman well. And they got married. And uh, they are David's grandparents. And eventually in the line of Jesus. Joseph was a governor in Egypt, but it didn't start that way. His, his brothers sold him into slavery and he had a job as the lowest servant when he wasn't in prison until eventually God called him and he responded and answered a prayer and he became uh, one of the highest governors in all of the land. And his response to God ended up saving his entire family during a famine and is a key turning point in the history of it all. The Bible has so many of these occupations, scribe, coppersmith, carpenter, farmer, soldier, jailer, merchant, potter, tent maker, apothecary, midwife, doctor, banker, tax collector, innkeeper, teacher, rabbi, singer, priest, fabric maker, hunter, and more. And each of these jobs, no doubt, had Monday morning blues. No doubt people wondered, what the heck am I doing here? This is no fun. I don't know where God is in it. But in the midst of these unfolding work stories, people responded to the call of God. And God's story of remaking and making the world took big steps forward because people were often grinding something when the call of God came. What are you grinding right now that you wonder, can God, can God speak to me in my grinding? dissecting maybe over, over here, whatever, right? <laughs> Sorry. I, it's, 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 you're sitting right there, so it's, it's tough, it's tough. <laughs> they followed God to their work-a-day work, and they actually followed God right into the story of God. They stumbled right into God's story, and God was waiting for them there and said, I have a turning point for you in my story. This morning, we are going to share communion together. Lowe's been making some bread for us, and while he was working this morning, uh, what he is making is about to take a turn. And his hard work is about to be a response to God. I'm going to read from the book of Luke. 
Jesus had a call, or Jesus had a job actually for his disciples. He had something that he wanted them to do with their hands, and so he sent them out on a bit of a task. It goes like this. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where's the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that's already set up. This is where you should go and prepare the meal. And they went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said. And they prepared the Passover meal there. Passover was an annual tradition for Jewish people and it was a job. You had work that you had to, to, to do with it. You had to prepare things. You had to, you had to mix this and prepare that and, and find a place and so on. So they had a job and Jesus gave them a job, a task, work that he had to do. When the time came, Jesus and his disciples, they sat down together at a table. And Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine. And he gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share this among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Then after the disciple Lo had made some bread, he took some bread, fresh, beautiful, very beautiful bread, and he broke it. <laughs> I know. He gave thanks to God, and he broke the pieces, and he gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Friends, today, work turns into a response to God, to a call. God says, Welcome. Come and join in the work I'm doing. Come and be a part of making this world beautiful. Jesus took the disciples' work and he transformed it. He redeemed it. He reframed it. This bread, which was once just over here, became the body of Jesus that they could participate in and take into themselves. Grapes become wine, in this case, Welsh's grape juice. And together, Jesus called his followers together to be transformed by their vocation, transformed by the call of God to see their work different than it is. Eventually, the death and resurrection of Jesus would also transform this, this person who is, who is working with these fishermen on the North Shore Sea of Galilee who becomes the Savior for all mankind. For billions of people who have said yes to, to Jesus, they know that they are responding to this call. You see, this isn't just bread, this is life. And we get to be a part of it. Today in communion, when we share together in the Lord's Supper, we're going to have two stations. I'm going to ask Lo and Jenny, would you please go and stand over there? They are going to serve, and Kelly and I are going to serve over here. But as you come up, 
And we're going to give you a little piece of Lo's very good bread, which he worked hard to make and responded to. And now we get to come around and something more beautiful has come out of it. I want you, if you would like, to come in your heart and bring before God your work. Bring before God your efforts. Bring before God your Monday mornings, your humdrum job. Maybe bring before God your dream job. Maybe bring God your Monday mornings, your night shifts, your sore hands. Bring this to God. Take this bread, this juice. Take it and receive the call of God. And respond to the call in your heart. And say, God, I want you to take all that I have and make it yours. I want, to be a, I want my life to be a response to your vocation. I want to join with you. Amen? Amen.